0: Good afternoon, everybody. Nashville Life, how are you doing today? Uh, for the, yeah, sounds like you're doing great. Um, my name is Alvin. For those of you who are here for the first time, I serve as lead pastor here at the church, and it's an honor to do it. Uh, I'm excited about today's message. This whole series has been a blessing to, to me, um, but I pray more, more importantly that it's been a blessing to you uh, as we get into the word. Um, I do have something that's not planned. It's not on the, the screen. I wanted to uh, take some time to acknowledge a part of the body that is, that is hurting right now, and those are our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. Um, we are one church body, and the word says that when one body, one part of the body hurts, you know, we all feel that, um, and I want us to practice uh, solidarity and unity as we acknowledge uh, the, the persecution that's happening, it's honestly, you know, it's been happening all around the world, but specifically right now, there's a lot that's on the media, in the media that's happening in Afghanistan that's, that's, that's devastating. Um, at the same time, Christians are very unique that our suffering actually ends up producing glorious things. So as as, as devastated as I am, my faith uh, allows me to still expect something great to happen from this. If history repeats itself uh, in any way, uh, whenever the church is persecuted, whenever the enemy uh, lashes against the church, there's always a backlash. And it always ends up counteracting his efforts and making the church grow even more. So, so as, I, as we do pray for protection, uh, we should be praying for a revival as well. Um, so I'm just going to lead us in a quick prayer. Uh, Father, we thank you for your church. We thank you that you planted the church, Lord, and we know that you planted it in a way that the gates of hell will not prevail against your church, God. I thank you, Lord, that your word also says that all things work together for the good of those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, Lord. And we have history after history, after text after text that shows that no weapon formed against your people will prosper god so 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 even though we expect great things lord we acknowledge that this is a difficult and unimaginable time especially for us here in the west who who haven't experienced that degree of of persecution lord we just pray lord that you give us empathy lord i pray lord that we are able to 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 feel lord and to to connect with those who are running for their lives, God. And um, I just pray protection. In the name of Jesus, I pray for the blood of Jesus to do its work, and that is to protect, and that is to make it to where where they are covered, Lord, by Your Spirit. Lord, I pray, Lord, for a boldness and for a courage to rise up into the uh, in the believers in Afghanistan. Lord, I pray, Lord, they would have the same same confidence as Stephen, Lord, where where despite the persecution, Lord, he was seeing where his help came from, and he was rejoicing in the midst of it. God, I pray for something supernatural, Lord, to happen, God, and I. Pray pray lord that as they shine lord it would inspire the church in the west god and we would get more fired up to to own our faith in a way that we are willing to lose our lives for you jesus i praise lord i praise you lord and i thank you lord for the church in afghanistan i pray strength i pray protection lord i pray wisdom lord and i pray for your grace to just continue to show itself strong Through that people, Lord, and Lord, I pray, Lord, that the church would all just be unified through this difficult time, Lord. And and, uh, I'm just grateful for you, God, and I trust you. You are sovereign. You are sovereign even in times, especially in times where we just don't understand why these things are happening. We declare that you are sovereign, and we declare that your church will stand and continue to prevail. In the name of Jesus, amen. All right. Continue to pray, y'all. Continue to pray. Continue. And uh, I just want to make sure we, yeah, it's important. We're all a family. And even though we've never met those guys, those are brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, I want you all to pray for them like it was your brother because it is your brother. It is your sister. So uh, praise God. I'm expecting great things. I can't wait to see what's going to happen through all of this. Um, because God is just, he, 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 he's a genius at making beauty out of ashes. He's just, no one can do it like him. He can take the most tragic situations and produce incredible beauty. So let's see what God's doing. Let's see what he does. Uh, let's declare this uh, together before we get into the word. Repeat these words after me if you can. Say, the word of God is the bread of life. May my heart conceive it and my life achieve it. The more I give life, the more I'll receive. The more I, life, the more I, the more I live life, the more I'll believe. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's our prayer. Every time we get into the word, that is our prayer that, that whatever, the, whatever life is in that word will be conceived in our hearts, And that it would uh, produce action in our lives. Um, It's one thing to read the word, but I want to be a church that does the word. we got to do the word, right? And I want to also, I love declaring the more we live, the more we'll believe. Because sometimes the narrative can be, you know, we start off really strong and our faith was so strong. But the more we start experiencing disappointments, our faith starts to dwindle. But I want to change the narrative. I want my faith to be stronger in 20 years than it is today. But we have to declare it if we want it to happen. We've got we've to declare that, that my faith is only going to increase the more time goes by. Um, we are in a series called Work It Out. Work It Out is the name of the series, and it's been inspired by the passage in Philippians that ta- tells us to work out Our salvation salvation is a miracle salvation is amazing but salvation is an inward work that is meant to get outside of us and if it never gets outside of us then we we forfeit our purpose in this very dark world and we find ourselves unable to shine and make the impact that we were called to make when we were saved Uh, There's a passage that I've been pulling from this whole month, and it's in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15, and I'm going to read it. It says, therefore, my beloved, this is to the Philippian church, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure? It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights. In the world. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And today's a simple message. I just want to talk about how to do that practically. Because salvation is a multi-dimensional, very vast topic. Um, it's 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 simple, but it's it's deep. And sometimes we can kind of get lost. You could work out your salvation. It's like, how do I do that? So I'm gonna make an attempt to break it down. In uh, to like three parts. There's three ways I want to specify of how to work out your salvation. And the first one I want to talk about is to work out your salvation. You must work out that you, you, are the object of God's love. That's the first thing you gotta learn how to work out. If you're gonna work out your salvation, you must. First things first. You must accept that you are loved by God. Not only do you have to accept it, but you've got to embrace it. You've got to live in and from the truth that you are the object of God's love. God the Father who created you loves you. He loves you so much. He doesn't just love you, period, he loves you so much that he John 3:16 says for God so loved the world he loved you so much he loved us so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him his son should not perish but have eternal life so to be saved is to be loved to be, You can't even accept salvation without realizing that there's got to be love there. There has to be love. Salvation is, you know, cause and effect. Have you heard of cause and effect? Salvation is the effect, and the cause is love. God loves you, and that's what caused him to send his son to pay for all of our sins and to save our lives. So it's important that if you... Or if you're working out your salvation, you must practice being loved. You've got to practice living from the mindset that God loves me. That's the first step because everything else in your salvation will be completely dysfunctional if, it, if it's not built first off that I'm loved. Every other step will not function properly if it's not built on the truth And the belief that you are loved, you are valuable. God's son was expensive. That's an expensive price for us. We are valuable. We are not just a cheap asset. We are something that costs a lot. Our lives cost a lot. It was a very high price for our salvation. And God counted us worthy of that high price. You are cared for. You are cared for. You have a caretaker, and his name is God. And he knew that your life needed to be redeemed, so he took care of it. You are cared for. And those are are the three things I want you to make sure you understand. You are loved, you are valuable, and you are cared for. You must. And do whatever you got to do to let that truth become a reality for you. Scripture gives us instructions and tips on if we need help remembering, it says write on tablets, put it around your neck, put it on your doorposts, whatever you have to do to let it sink in that God loves me, do it, whatever it is, if it's still not sinking in, then let's try something else. Maybe you got to say it 50 times in the morning. Maybe you got to say it 50 times before you go to bed. Whatever it takes until you know that it's synced in, that I know without a shadow of a doubt that God loves me, make it happen. Do what you got to do. Work it out. It's on us to work it out. Work it out. Work, work out this belief that I am loved. The second thing you need to do when you're working out your salvation is you've got to work out that you are forgiven of your sins. You can't work out your salvation if you're still not sure that you are forgiven of your sins. You must work this out. You must receive this truth. You must accept that I am forgiven of my sins if you want to work out your salvation. Your salvation is that you have been forgiven. They're one and the same. So you see how, you know, you, you... Sometimes it gets—we uh, assume that we understand that—but there's a lot of people who are still struggling, that they are not forgiven of their sins. And if you want to work out your salvation, you must trust that the cross paid the price. And even if it doesn't make sense to you, guys, I think—I uh, think it's way more important to accept than to understand. Now, I'm not anti-understanding. I believe in understanding, but there are people who can accept and not understand, and they're still able to reap from it because they accepted the truth. It's not so much the other way around. It's like you've got to sometimes just go, man, this doesn't make sense all the way, but I'm just going to accept it because God said it. The fact that God has forgiven me for all these horrible things that I've done doesn't make sense to me, but I don't want to miss out on the forgiveness. (laughs) God forbid I miss out simply because I'm still trying to figure out why and how. We have to learn to just go, well, Lord, if you say so, I accept it, and then trust that the understanding will come later maybe. But even if it doesn't, at least I've accepted it. At least I'm reaping the benefits of a forgiven life. To be forgiven means you don't have to defend yourself anymore. Some of you all are still living on the defense, and you don't have to defend yourself anymore because you're already forgiven. The case is closed, you're already forgiven. To be forgiven means you don't owe a debt to God anymore. Sin carries this debt. There's this even if you don't, even if not a Christian, there is this innate quality of sin that makes you anticipate punishment. Even non-Christians, it's at the the most basic level, just even conscious-wise, like guilt is not exclusive to Christianity. Like when you do something that you shouldn't do, there is this innate expectation for punishment. And retaliation and we have to trust that our that payment and that retaliation has been canceled he took the punishment because you're right and, and the thing about it is that innate thing that we feel when we sin it's true sin does carry punishment so i'm not saying that your sins don't deserve punishment and they don't carry it So so if you're feeling that sense of guilt, that's a real thing. Salvation doesn't make that not true. Salvation is that that guilt and punishment was taken out on Jesus. Jesus took the punishment that came with your sin and died for it on the cross. So you have to understand that even though I did commit those things, even though I did think those things that deserve death, salvation is that it's been forgiven. It's been forgiven because all of that punishment, all of that wrath that came with my sin was taken out on an innocent man named Jesus Christ on the cross. You have to believe that you're not condemned anymore. There's no condemnation in Christ. So to work out your salvation is to work out that you've got to practice living like you're not condemned. You've got to practice it. Because we're used to living like we are condemned. I'm going to talk about that later. And you also must practice and work out that your accuser has been overruled. The Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Brethren basically means the fellow saint, the fellow forgiven person. He, what he does is he, he, he finds people who have been forgiven And then he points their finger and accuses them of what they've already been forgiven of. So whatever sin you've been forgiven of, the accuser is the one that tries to bring it back up in your face. Scripture says that your sins have been tossed into the sea of forgetfulness. It's been buried. It's been wiped away. And the accuser is the one that tries to dig it back up. So every time you find yourself still remembering and still being haunted by things that you've done in the past, that's the accuser of the brethren. He's a real person. The devil is real. His accusations, you're not just imagining it. Those are real accusations that you're feeling against your life. And the gospel isn't that, that the accuser it doesn't exist. The sa- salvation is the accuser has been overruled. He has been, you know, when in court they say objection, and the, he puts his gavel, says overruled, that basically means it doesn't matter. Everything you're saying doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. We're moving on. So every time Satan wants to accuse you of past sins, the God the Father, because of Jesus Christ, says, that doesn't matter anymore. Let's move on. Next time you find yourself dealing with condemnation or accusation, you got to practice saying, that doesn't matter. We're moving on. Because that's what God is saying. Forgiven means you've been forgiven. The debt is paid. The case is closed. We have to practice doing this. To work out your salvation means to work out that you've been rescued from danger and darkness. To work out your salvation means we have to work out that, notice I said you've been rescued. Not that you might get rescued in the future. Salvation means I have been saved. You have to believe that I've been rescued. That's what salvation is. Saved means you were saved. <laughs> like you were in danger and someone saved. Think about a lifeguard. You know, if you're drowning, to be saved means you're not drowning anymore. You've been pulled out of the water. You've been given a floating device. If you are saved, you are saved. You are saved. You've been rescued. You've been ransomed. So because of that, that means you are safe. You have to practice believing that I am safe. Why? Because I've been saved. It's almost so obvious that we miss it. To be saved means you are saved. I've been rescued. I am safe. You must believe that you are safe. You must believe that you now live in the light scripture says that he saved us p- from darkness into his marvelous light you're no longer in darkness you're no longer blind you no, you no longer have to hide another word for for the light is unhidden the light means it's not you you don't have to hide anymore in sin we're always trying to cover our tracks We're always trying to lie. We're always trying to protect. We're always trying to hide and put this away and sneak this. They can't see this. They can't see this. And one of the benefits of being a a child of the light is you don't have to do that stuff anymore. You can live your life like it's broad daylight and not feel any shame because you're a child of the light now. You no longer have to live like you lived when you were in the darkness, always looking behind your back and always going, oh, man, if they see this, that's gone. That was your days before you were saved. We've got to practice this. The next thing is you have no reason to fear. Now that you've been rescued, I can see if you haven't been rescued, fear being afraid because no one saved you yet. You should be scared if no one has saved you. But once you're saved, why are you still scared? Again, if you haven't been saved, if no one's come to rescue you yet, if you're still in the in harm's way, it makes sense to be scared. But if you've been rescued, if you've already been covered and protected, Jesus is going, you guys are already safe under the shelter. Why are you why are you still shaking like you're exposed? You're already safe inside. You got a blanket, you got hot cocoa, you've al- you you you've, you you're you're already inside. Why are you still scared? You're here. You're I'm here, you're with me, you've been rescued. To work out your salvation is to work out that you have no reason to fear anymore. You have no reason to be anxious anymore. That's why Jesus says to be anxious for nothing. Why? Because you've been saved, you've been rescued. So to work out your salvation is to work out that you are the object of God's love, that you have been forgiven of all of your sins, and that you have been rescued from darkness and danger. If you want to know how do I work out my salvation, start with those three, and you will see a difference in your life. Because, again, salvation is a very vast, broad term. So that's why, well, let's just break it down. I'm loved. I'm forgiven. And I'm safe. We work that out. Um, Let's move on. Not quite the right slide, but um, let's keep going. Why is, okay. Scripture says to work out your salvation. And then it says with fear and trembling. And I want to talk about why. Why is with fear and trembling included? Because the answer is working out your salvation is not easy. And I know I talk about it like, why are we doing this? Why are we? The reason is because it's not easy. As simple as it is, it's not easy. As simple as it is to say, "Okay, cool. I just live like I'm loved." Thanks, Pastor Alvin. Let's go on with my life like it's it's if it was that simple, a lot of us would have been doing it a long time ago. We've been we've been told, I mean, how many times have we heard John 3:16? You know what I'm saying? But it's not easy. It's not easy. Even though we've been told time and time again that your sins are forgiven, why is it still so difficult to accept that without slipping back into condemnation? We've been told, you've been saved. You, you have no reason to fear, be anxious for nothing, but yet within hours we're afraid again. The reason why is because it's not easy. It's possible, but it's not easy. Jesus said... The road of salvation is difficult. It's not because it's not possible. It's not because it's not available, but it's difficult. And I want to talk about why it's difficult. And that's where the fear of trembling comes in. Like, you do it with fear and trembling because it's, it, it takes a lot to do this. you got to be cautious. you got to, you got to really give your effort. you got to be, you got to be specific. you got to be diligent. That's why it says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling because fear and trembling is (laughs) required to do this. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not because God is playing tricks on us. It's not because he made it hard on purpose. But we've got some issues that make working out salvation with fear and trembling difficult. And I want to talk about the first one. My first thing is work out that you are the object of God's love. That's not easy. Working out that you are the object of God's love, working out that you are loved by God is not easy because of a thing called rejection. The reason why it's hard for us to walk out that we are the object of God's love, that we are the apple of his eye, that we are are someone that he takes delight in is because of a thing called rejection. Rejection is an attack from the enemy that causes us to resist God's love. Rejection is what makes us reject the love of God. And that's why it's hard for us to accept that God loves us because there's this little thing, this intruder, this trespasser called rejection. And the thing about rejection is when, it, when it's active in your life, it doesn't matter how much love you're receiving. It doesn't matter how much affirmation you're getting. It doesn't matter how much encouragement you're getting. You're insatiable. Have you heard the term, uh, I can't put my food down, keep, keep my food down? Like when you're sick. You know when you're sick, one, like if you have a stomach bug, you'll eat food, but then it regurgitates. I know that's gross, but it comes back up. And, and the term we use is I just can't seem to keep my food down. When you're sick, you can't keep your food down. It doesn't matter how much food you eat, it still comes up and ends up in the toilet. That's what rejection is. You can't keep your love down. You can't digest. It never can digest. Rejection is this muscle that makes it go. Whoop. Love gets poured in. Whoop. Ugh. Love. Ugh, love. Whoop. When you have rejection. You can't keep love down. So you can receive, you can eat love for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but it never digests. It never reaches where it can actually nourish your life. Rejection is this, ref- it's, like, it's like a gag reflex for love. It never gets to the point to where it can nourish your body. Rejection is a deadly thing. The only way to be free from rejection is repentance. And I want to make this clear because we believe, most of us think human logic says the answer to rejection is acceptance. If I, be re, if I don't want to be rejected, I just need acceptance and then I won't be rejected anymore. But the answer to rejection is not Acceptance. It's repentance. Let me explain. Everyone has someone who accepts them. If no, I mean, obviously God does. But I would even say beyond God. There's, there are human beings. There's at least one human being. It might not be a parent, but maybe it's a spouse. It might not be a, a spouse, but it's a child. Maybe it's not a child, but it's a teacher. There is someone who accepts us. We all have, if not God, God, God should be enough and could be enough, but even aside from God, there is a person who accepts all of us. If nobody else, than me, I accept you. Like, if you're going, to know, no one accepts. There is someone who accepts us. Rejected people are rejected by everyone but they are rejected by someone. This is how rejection works. Even though not everybody rejects you, someone did. Someone did reject you. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe it was a spouse. Maybe it was a boyfriend. Maybe it was a girlfriend. Maybe it was a brother. Someone rejected you. So I'm not saying that you're making this up. Someone did reject us. Whether it's a parent, an ex, a friend, a teacher, someone rejected us. But rejection is when the rejection from that person or persons prevent us from feeling accepted by anyone. Rejection says, since that one person or since those five people rejected me, therefore everyone rejects me. If you want to work out being the object of God's love, repentance from rejection is necessary. Repentance from rejection doesn't make people who reject you accept you. So repentance from rejection doesn't mean once I repent from rejection, then everybody who rejects me is all of a sudden going to accept me. That's not how repentance works. It'd be cool if it did work like that, but it doesn't. There's a strong chance that the same people who rejected you before you repent from rejection might still reject you now. So I, wanna, I don't want to f- paint any false pictures of what to expect when you choose to repent from rejection. But what repentance does do is it makes you accept people who accept you. Repentance from rejection doesn't make people who reject you accept you. Repentance from rejection makes you accept the people who do accept you. Rejection doesn't change the past it's not witchcraft. It doesn't make someone go, oh, my God, I love them so much. Repentance is about you in your lens. I'm repenting from the lens that says, since that happened to me, every single person is going to reject me. And I'm going to turn to a lens that says, even though that person or those people rejected me, I can see that this person accepts me. I can see that this person loves me. I can see that God loves me. This is why it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling because rejection always wants to creep back up. and We have to practice shunning that lens, shunning that perspective so that we can enjoy all of the rest of the people who do accept us. Number two, to work out that you are forgiven of your sins is not easy. To work out that you are forgiven of your sins is not easy, and the reason is unforgiveness. This is why it takes effort to receive that we have been forgiven of our sins, because for many of us, unforgiveness is still at play. Unforgiveness is something that we all have to watch out for. All of us have to watch out for it. It's not as uh, overtly... Evil and unintentional as you think. And let me explain. Unforgiveness, please hear me, is connected to our tendency. All of us have it. It's our tendency to magnify the sins of others as greater than our own. Unforgiveness is connected to the human tendency to magnify the sins of others more than your own. Stay with me. Unforgiveness is connected to our tendency to ignore the plank in our eye and scrutinize the speck in others. This is something that we all have to watch out for. None of us are exempt from this temptation to magnify the sins of others and minimize and diminish our own. Matthew chapter 6, verse 14 through 15, Jesus says, everyone say, Jesus said, said. for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So the reason why it's difficult for many of us to walk out the fact that we are forgiven is because maybe we still aren't. And I'm not saying that we're not because Jesus didn't pay the price. But we see here our Lord and Savior is saying there is a caveat. There is a clause that can cancel forgiveness of sins, and that is when you are still holding someone else in contempt for theirs. This is why it can be difficult to truly... If it's too difficult, like if you really, like, if it's a chronic struggle to believe that you are forgiven, the Lord has given you a little uh, Easter egg. He's given you a breadcrumb. He's given you a clue. Some of us are like, why do I feel like I'm always under condemnation? Why do I... He's given us a clue. We might have to do an evaluation of our lives. And is there someone who I'm still holding their sins over them? When you don't forgive others, you think you're holding someone's sin over them when really you're holding your own sin over you. When you don't forgive, you think you're holding someone's sin over them when really you're holding your own sin over you. When we don't forgive, what we think we're doing is, God, look what they did. Look what they did, God. See, we're on, this is a box. I'm uncovering stuff. Look what they did. I guess without the context, it looks like I'm just like dancing. No, we're uncovering stuff. But what we're really doing in the spirit is, God, look what I did. Look what I did. Look, look at my sins. Look at my sins. Every time you think you're exposing someone else's sins to God, you're exposing your sins to God. And the enemy wants us to think that it's a, we're really uh, doing the Lord's work when really we're condemning ourselves. So if you struggle with believing that you're forgiven, it's because you keep on exposing your sins. God says, I'm trying to cover your sins. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sins. He's trying to cover your sins, but every time you reject forgiving others, you're uncovering the sins that he's trying to cover. God goes, you're tying my hands. I'm, I, have the, I have the capacity to forgive the most heinous things that you've ever done in your life. And every time we don't forgive someone, we're going, God, no, we, don't cover it. Don't cover it. Don't cover it. He goes, okay, if you insist, I wanted to forgive you. I had enough love to cover all those things with, with double layer. I was gonna do two coatings of covering. You know how you paint a wall and you can still see? He goes, I wanna do a triple coat. I was really trying to do a triple coat over your sin, but as long as you still refuse to forgive others of theirs, you strip my coating away. So therefore, on the day of judgment, your sins will not be covered because you were insistent on uncovering others. This is why he says, with fear and trembling. This is why he doesn't just say, work out your salvation. Y'all, this is hard. You're going to have to give it your all because we have this tendency to magnify the sins of others and brush over ours. But the word says you're doing the opposite. You're magnifying your own. So if if you have a tendency of magnifying other people's sins, just know you're magnifying your own. Third reason, work out that you have been rescued from danger and darkness is not easy. To work out that you have been rescued from darkness and from danger is not easy. You would think it would be, but it's not. And the reason why is pride. Now, when I was preparing for this, I thought the reason was fear. And I was like, okay, cool. Like that's like, oh, I shouldn't fear. Fear seems to be such a Fear doesn't cut the way it needs to because fear is like those things like, oh, I just got to do better better at that. Like we kind of know it's not good, but we don't really think it's bad. We know fear isn't God's best, but we don't really think that it's evil. I don't think most people in this room truly believe that being afraid is evil. I think we know that it's not best, but we don't think that it is something that can, like, forfeit everything for us. So I was like, so why is it? Why, what's, the, what's the culprit? Why, why is, what's the evil person that's behind the curtain of fear that makes fear look so innocent? It's pride. Let me explain, in case you didn't think that pride and fear had anything to do with each other. It's hard to feel safe from danger when you have pride. And this is why. Pride, by definition, cancels the existence of God in your mind. Pride blots out the existence of God. That's what pride does. The nature of pride, it cancels out his existence to you. He's there, but pride cancels him out in your head. And then when there's no God in your mind, you get scared. Because God is the only person who's sovereign and powerful enough to protect you. God is the only person who has the ability to provide for your life. God is the only person who can keep you safe from harm and danger. So pride, and this is the lure, this is the deception of pride, pride cancels him out. So if there's no God active in your life, then there's no protection in your life. There's no provision in your life. And a human being without protection and provision is scared. Because we can't provide for ourselves. We, we, we know our limitations as people. So what happens is pride cancels out your confidence. Pride, and the deception of pride is that it is your confidence. The enemy goes, be prideful so you can be confident. But it's the opposite. Satan is a liar. He lies. Like he literally lies to us. Pride removes every reason to have confidence because pride says there is no God. And if he is around, he's not stronger than me. Pride says there is no God, and if he is around, then he's not stronger than me. He's not stronger than the storm in my life. He's not stronger than this diagnosis in my life. He's not stronger than this world. He's not stronger than the devil. Pride cancels out God. Therefore, you don't have the shelter. That's why you can't rejoice when we say, I'm under the shelter of the Almighty. That scripture goes over your head because pride says, I'm not, I don't have a shelter. So pride causes fear. A person who is conscious of God's presence is not afraid. When the disciples were scared on the boat, even though Jesus was there, Jesus says, Oh, you of little faith. You don't believe that I'm here. And if you do believe I'm here, you don't believe I'm stronger than the storm. Guys, pride causes fear. And I feel like I have to make it that blatant because all of most people in this room believe that pride is evil. But people don't believe that fear is evil in this room. But when you see that they are cousins... Now you might have a better shot at seeing fear for what it really is. Fear is the result of believing that God is not there. Fear is the result of believing that God is not there and if he is, he's too weak to handle my life. That's why the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. When you re- it's all connected. Fear is less than, fear is more than just not God's best for your life. Duh, it's not the best for your life, but it's more than that. It's evil. It is the fruit of a belief system that God is not here, and if he is, he can't do anything about this. I have to make it plain for you guys, because we we still have very elementary Levels of discernment. I'm basically being Paul right now, like we should be further along with this. Paul says y'all should be teaching this stuff and you still don't get it because we think that pride is some chest sticking out in a fancy car, putting out money and being mean to people. We have this caricature of pride. So as long as pride is this zoot suit guy walking around just being mean, I'm not that. I don't have pride. I'm not that monster. But when I define pride as canceling out the existence and the power of God in your life, all of us find ourselves in that. As long as pride is that character that's in the movie that's just this jerk all the time and, you know, being mean to poor people and whatever. We're like, that's not me. I'm nice. You can be nice and still cancel out the existence of God in your life. We have to see with spiritual eyes. We're too caught up on the surface. If it looks nice, then it's got to be nice. I mean, that's how predators take people. They have candy, We have to graduate from, if it's sweet, then it must be good for me. That's how people end up in vans. (laughs) Nothing against van owners, but you get what I'm saying. (laughs) Christians, we must graduate from, ooh, Skittles, safety. Ooh, Skittles, God. God. And then we're behind a van somewhere going, what the heck happened to me? How would I end up tied up? We must graduate from Skittles equals God. And say, Lord, give me the discernment to see the evil man that's holding the Skittle so I don't end up in the back of his van. Pride can be nice. Pride can be polite. Pride can be smart. It usually is. But if it cancels out the existence of God or his power, which is one of the same, because to believe in a non-powerful God is to not believe in God. You You don't believe in God if you don't believe God is God. Again, we think to not believe in God means that you're a self-proclaimed atheist. But there are self-proclaiming Christians who don't believe in God. You don't have to claim atheism to to not believe in God. Just subscribe to a God who is less powerful than the one in the Word says that he is. The disciples were with Jesus, and he said they don't have faith. So if you can be with Jesus in the flesh and see him perform miracles and still don't have faith, what makes you think that we're exempt from having to make sure our faith is intact? I mean, you can't get more Christians than 12 disciples eating and hanging out with Jesus all the time. Pride, guys. We cannot into a reality that God's presence doesn't matter. And when God's presence isn't around, then that's when you feel vulnerable. I don't have anybody protecting me. I don't have anybody to tell the storms to, 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 to peace be still. Again, guys, disciples literally did it. Oh my God, it's raining. What are we going to do? And Jesus is right there. He goes, Y'all, where's y'all's faith, man? I'm here. I'm here. Some of y'all need to just believe he's here. We must repent from pride. And to, to repent from pride is, is simple: acknowledge God. You don't have to read seven books. You don't have to fast for seven days. If you want to repent from pride, acknowledge that Jesus is in the boat. Acknowledge that God is with you. When you turn your eyes on Jesus, fear leaves. Pride leaves. And I feel like sometimes I'm, we're in a generation where I can see people being offended. Like, when you said that, it made me feel bad. Okay, like, I don't want to make you feel bad, but, like, you don't have to feel bad if you don't want to. Just change. What Pastor Bird said, don't be mad, just change. That's like, okay, guys, let's just be real here. Like, if I was going to your house, let me find someone. That, uh, Isaac, I'm going to your house. And your ticket to your house, you've got to go down Old Hickory Boulevard and you find out that I'm in Green Hills somewhere. And you go, oh, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm over, I'm over towards, closer towards the church, towards Christ's church. And I go, well, thanks, now I feel bad. <laughs> Still in Green Hills, trying to get to Isaac's house for dinner. <laughs> Isaac told me I was in the wrong spot. I feel bad. Isaac made me feel bad. Still in Green Hills. I just feel bad. How could I? God, I feel like a failure. How, how could I have ended up in Green Hills when I thought and Isaac lives by the church? What am I doing? And meanwhile, it's four hours later. The dinner's cold. Isaac's going, like, you could just turn around and come to my house Honestly, I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Um, you, <laughs> I just feel so bad, and honestly, I don't. I don't think I even want to come to your house anymore because you told me I was in the wrong, wrong, wrong place, and that just turns me off. That doesn't sound like Jesus to me. Jesus would say, "You're you're in the right place," you know, just. You're, 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 I don't know. He would. He would just say. It. He would not. He just would not say you were in the wrong place. I just know Jesus. I read the Bible today. He would never say that you were in the wrong place. I know I'm in Green Hills, but that's, that's not the point. The point is I feel like a failure, Isaac. Don't you care? And Isaac's like, <laughs> I did it for you. You, you could have turned around. That's how we act. You made me feel bad, Alvin. I, I wrestle with fear, and now I just feel like a failure. Well, just stop fearing. Turn to God. I, I just don't know if I can trust you anymore because God makes me feel good, Alvin, and you didn't make me feel good. We must be intimate with God. The more intimate with God, the more we acknowledge God, the less fearful we will be. Leonard Ravenhill said, A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. A man who is intimate with God is not intimidated by man. If you wrestle with the fear of man, get more intimate with God, acknowledge him more. Think about him more. Talk about him more. Dream about him more. Imagine him more. Because the more you acknowledge God, the more you will be convinced that no weapon formed against you will prosper. The more you acknowledge that Jesus is in my boat, the less reasons you will have to fear. And if you're not intimate with God... Don't be mad at yourself that you're not intimate with God. Just start getting intimate with God. Don't wallow in, I'm a failure because I'm not as intimate with God as I should be. Just start getting more intimate. We as a church struggle in this, and this is Nashville Life. I'm talking to my church, our church. We struggle with wanting to just we 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 feel like failures if we're not doing it right and when instead of just doing it right i had a great friend that i oh, love so much and he's like i mean like and I'm, i i used to always champion him like i, I don't even I ever corrected him we were just living we were just living for jesus and i see you start acting funny with me like started acting funny. And I was like, what's going on? And I confronted him. I was like, man, are we okay? You know, he was like, I just, when I'm with you, I don't feel like I'm doing it right. And I broke my heart because I was like, I'm a huge fan of this guy. Like, I champion him. I'm like, this is, this dude, I look up to him. Like, he's great. I had no reason to not. And I was like, man, that's not how I feel at all. And after, it wasn't until later that I was like, okay, like, I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think I projected that. I apologize if I did. But I was like, what if he wasn't? What if we're not doing it right? Is that the deal breaker to walk with the Lord? This person's not even following Jesus anymore. Like, guys, I said this last week. We have to grow a capacity to realize that we're not doing it right, but it's not game over. You're not disqualified. That's pride. Pride. I'm trying to learn how to play baseball and my swing is right and my coach is saying, "El, oh, you're not your toe needs to be in your why well, quit?" <laughs> is that a humble person? We can't take correction. We hear that we're not doing it right and we say, "I'm out of here." Instead of, "Well, tell me how to do it right." Elbow here. Okay. Boom. Oh, nice. That was a difference. We don't I don't see enough of that. I don't see enough of that even in this church. I don't see enough of, okay, let's do it like that. Oh, wow, that, that, did, that did help my swing. We never get there because we, since we feel bad, we're out. That's just an extra side thing. So repentance is the call. We've got to repent. We've got to repent from these areas that make it difficult to work out our salvation. To work out your salvation is to work out that you are the object of God's love. You must accept that you are the object of his love. You must accept that you, have been, that you are forgiven of your sins. You must work out that you have been rescued from danger and darkness. To be saved is to be those three things. To be saved is more than a word. To be saved is to be loved. To be saved is to be forgiven. To be saved is to be rescued. To be saved is to be loved. To be saved is to be forgiven. To be saved is to be rescued. And the reason why fear and trembling is included in working this stuff out is because three things called rejection, unforgiveness, and pride. So, church, if we want to work out our salvation, if we want to work out that we are loved, work out that we are forgiven, work out that we have been rescued, we have to take advice from the word and realize that there are things. That are stumbling blocks that are keeping us from being able to do that. Rejection prevents you from working out that you were loved. Because rejection is the gag reflex that pushes back the love of God. You gotta stop doing that. You gotta, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta remove, you can't let the, the people who rejected you spoil your life. I know the rejection was real. I'm not trying to diminish it, but it is not worth spoiling your life. Did it cause you pain? Yes. Did it cause you trauma? Yes. But is it powerful enough to destroy the rest of your relationships? No. I feel like I have to tell you this because we've magnified this beast as if it's bigger. Yes, rejection is a big beast, but rejection does not have the power to r- ruin your life. You, can, you, you have to see it as such. This is... I'm not letting rejection spoil another relationship. I'm not letting rejection spoil a relationship with another church community. I'm not letting rejection dis- ruin another marriage. I'm not letting. Until you make up your mind that you are not going to let rejection rob you of your future, rejection will continue to rob you of your future. You must repent of unforgiveness. And the way you do that is look at your own sin. Every time I want to judge someone else and walk in unforgiveness, the Holy Spirit always seems to go, What did you do? Yesterday. And the thing about God is this is not condemnation. Because remember how I said the, the accuser brings up your sin? You gotta understand. When the Holy Spirit brings up your sin, it's to convict you. There is, okay, let me just bring it I want, up. I want to make sure i clarify. The only person who brings up your sin isn't the accuser. So let's say some of you guys were caught doing something bad. Like, let's say in this church, like, you were caught doing something and we confront you. I don't want you guys to, you're the accuser of the brother. Like, <laughs> if you stole money and you get arrested, that is not the accuser of the brethren, okay? Like, if someone brings up something that you did that was wrong, it's not always the accuser of the brethren, all right? You know it's the accuser of the brethren if it's condemnation. But if the Holy Spirit reminds you of a sin that you've committed that you need to repent of, that is so you can be free. Nathan brought up David's sin, but it was so David could repent, so I want to make sure that's clear, guys. Please do not make whoever brings up my sin is Satan. Like when when Satan brings up your sin, it's to condemn you, it's to wipe you out. If the Lord or someone of the Lord brings up your sin, it's so that you can repent and be free, okay? People who commit the crime in Christ will still have to serve the time. Salvation doesn't, like, release you from prison or, or or like, literal prison. Figurative prison, yes, you're free. But you still might have to serve those 10 years. <laughs> right? If you, you messed up a relationship bad and they like like, we, no, we, we're not in a relationship anymore. That doesn't mean God doesn't forgive you, but you might have to pay the consequence for your sins. Right? So forgiveness doesn't exempt you from consequences is what I'm trying to say. All right? So you've got to repent from unforgiveness. Look at your own sin, and you'll stop judging real fast. Nothing works better than when I'm reminded of my own failure. I go, oh, whoa, okay. I take that back. Because unforgiveness is when you glorify other sins and go, yeah, I know I did that, but they did this. We should be, I know they did that, but I did this. And then repent from pride. And again, it's simple. To repent from, from pride is just acknowledge God. Literally think about him. Like, I can't tell you how, how little we acknowledge God. Just think about him. And then think about him some more. And then talk about him. And then write about him. And then, then sing about him. Then dream. I'm telling you, if you do that for a solid three days, you will walk with more confidence than you have in the past three years. I have another quote that says, a man who prays for a year will accomplish, will do more than someone who hasn't prayed in a lifetime. It doesn't take long, guys. When you acknowledge God, he comes in. He's a consuming fire. He's not just this, like, assistant that's around. Like, when he's in, he pierces, he changes things. It's like a, it's like a, it's like a, a, a dam that breaks. The water just rushes in. That's how powerful God's presence is. And if you're not experiencing it, maybe you're not acknowledging him. That's how much I'm willing to diminish your ability to acknowledge to. This is this thing about me, this is why I can sometimes make enemies. I am willing to question your acknowledging of God than I am to say that maybe his presence isn't awesome. Like, I'm the guy that if you say, I'm acknowledging God, but like, but like, I don't, I go, it's, I'm quicker to go, maybe, maybe we need to evaluate how you're acknowledging God than I'm going. Maybe God isn't as incredible as we say he is. That's what makes me, die. I have a lot of flaws, but I am willing to put myself on the chopping block before I am the word. And that is becoming more and more rare. I'll just tell you that. We let our experiences trump Scripture. And I can feel more and more loneliness the older I get. That I'm willing to say, I'm willing to say those experiences didn't happen before I'm willing to say that that word's not true. Most of us aren't willing to do that, and we need to come over on this side. Paul says, Let every man be a liar before that word isn't true. Paul says, I'm willing to call all of us liars before I'm willing to diminish the power of this word. And that's what makes some people not like me. And I like to be liked, just so you know. So this is not easy, but I'll I'll do it. Not only for the Lord's sake, but for yours. Because 10 years later, when you go down that road of diminishing that thing, and you need someone in your life who can believe in God's word for you, I'll be here. You're going to need people in your life that are unwavering in Scripture. You're going to need people in your life that are unwavering so that when you realize you need a rock, they're there. And I have committed myself to be someone that stands here even if it means all by myself because God, in 25 years or in 6 years or in 7 months, when you need a rock in your life, you can call me. There are people in my life right now that I'm just like, Lord, I just, maybe they'll call me later. <laughs> because I had to stand. I had to. That's what it says. And I know that your experience says it. I, I, can't, I can't move. I'm sorry. I want to move, and I can't move. Let's all stand, please. Father. We thank you for salvation. We thank you, Jesus. We thank you for paying the price for our sins. We thank you for giving us a new heart. We thank you for giving us a new spirit. We thank you for placing uh, mercy and grace and perfect love into our lives. But, Lord, you're calling us to work this out. You're calling us to take the work that you've done and work it out to where it reaches our actions To where it reaches our decision making, to where it reaches our conversation, to where it reaches our external lives. Lord, we can sense your Spirit inviting us to work out our salvation. But Lord, your word says with fear and trembling, which means this is not gonna be easy. We've got issues, God. We've got issues like rejection, we've got issues like unforgiveness, we've got issues like pride. And they're getting in the way of our ability to work out this salvation, to work out that we are loved, to work out that we are forgiven, to work out that we have been rescued. So, Father, we take your word. Your word says, Jesus, when you came on the scene, you told us to repent. Lord, so we'll do that. Lord, I come against every spirit that wants to make repentance Uh, A word that uh, makes us feel like failures. Lord, help us to see the beauty of repentance. Help us to see the joy of repentance. Help us to see the hope and the blessing of repentance that we can actually change. We can actually end the cycle of unforgiveness. We can actually end the cycle of pride. We can actually end the cycle of rejection. So, Father, let us repent right now. There's some of us in the room that can identify with rejection. There's some in this room that can identify with unforgiveness. There's some in this room that can identify with pride. There's some people in this room that can identify with all three. I'm one of those guys that can identify with all three. Lord, and I, like many of us, have grown accustomed and comforted by these things. But God, I refuse to love my pride more than I love my ability to work out my salvation. I refuse to let unforgiveness rob me from working out this salvation. I refuse to let, to let rejection rob me of working out my salvation. Lord, you said that we are lights, but we have baskets over us. And the baskets are preventing the light from getting out. Lord, I believe that three baskets that we've identified today is pride, unforgiveness and rejection. And we repent of that, Lord, so our light can shine. So I repent on behalf of all of us, Lord. we repent. We repent from pride, we repent from unforgiveness. We repent from rejection. Lord, you're going to walk with us every day. If we acknowledge you, help us to acknowledge you so we can reap the benefits of having you close in our lives. So that when the storm rages, we won't fret like the disciples did on that boat. But we'll say, God is right here with me. I just got through talking to him. He is here. He just got through saying something to me. He is here. So I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to offer salvation to anyone who's here. And I mean salvation of being loved. I want to offer you a life of being loved by God. I want to offer you a life of being forgiven of all your sins. I want to offer you a life of being rescued from darkness and danger. That is salvation. To be saved is to be loved. To be saved is to be forgiven. To be saved is to be rescued. And that's, off, that's available to you through Jesus Christ. So if you want to be loved, if you want to be forgiven, if you want to be rescued, let's all receive Jesus. Repeat this after me. Everyone can say it along with me. Say, Father... In the name of Jesus, I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and was raised from the dead on the third day. Forgive me of my sins and make me a new person in Christ. Say, Lord Jesus, I choose you to be the Lord of my life. Fill me with the Holy Spirit so I can live for you every day. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Let's just celebrate salvation with an audible sound, clap, a scream, something. Let's just celebrate. Salvation is real. Salvation is real. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you said yes to Jesus, let us know. We've got a text system that if you text this number, it'll automatically send you a a PDF of just scriptures and things that will help you get started on this journey. Or maybe you uh, just want to be reminded of just fundamentals of the faith. So text yes to Jesus to 77411. And the only thing we'll send back is that one PDF. We won't send other stuff. But uh, yes to Jesus, let us know. And uh, we'll celebrate, but we'll also send you some content that'll support you. If you would like to get connected to the church, uh, you can text uh, belong. And you can also go to the connect booth outside or the, the stand right there to my right outside. Or the best thing to do is come to Next Steps. Next Steps happens right after service. Uh, we'll all, all of our staff will be in there. So we'll be able to meet you, tell you about the church, tell you about the vision of the church. We would love for you to come to that. If you want to give your offering, uh, you can give to the finance team. We have our uh, finance team that can receive your checks and cash if you don't want to give online. We appreciate anything you give. And then, if you want prayer, we've got two people here that will be happy to pray with you. You can also give your prayer request online. We have a team that prays for all the requests online. So you can let us know via uh, the website or you can come down and have one of our leaders pray for you. Uh, Besides that, guys, I love you. I pray that, that this word changes your life for the better. And even better, I pray that you're able to share with other people so that their lives can be changed too. So let's pray. Father, I pray for everyone who's here, Lord. Bless us as we leave. Protect us as we leave, Lord. Help the revelation of salvation to become refreshed for us who've been saved for years, and Lord, I thank you for those who are stepping into it for the first time. Lord, we are so grateful for your mercy, for your patience, and the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have a great afternoon. I love you all.